Hello and welcome to King Rain Quest episode 221. I'm your host, Mike Apps, aka Wheels, that guy who streamed Fortnite on the RP Gamer Twitch, and with me as always. Uh, amateur Homesian scholar, David McBurney, Family Master. And trying to figure out how best to say burn the heretic in Japanese right now, I'm <laughs> Michael Baker. <laughs> Listen, I have an excuse, okay? Yeah. I have a perfectly uh, valid really? excuse. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. I, I was streaming Fortnite on my on my own channel before streaming on RP Gamer and you know, told Phil, you know, he's gonna play one more game and just let me know when he's ready. And then he promptly abandoned the RP Gamer Twitch channel and I felt like I had to go live immediately. So yeah. That happened. Mm-hmm. Hey, we've got uh, we've got some questions on episode two nineteen. Oh, sweet, but not two twenty. No, no. Oh, of course not. When did you put up two twenty? My two Wednesday, two Tuesday. It uh, it appears to have gone up on Tuesday. Tuesday. Well, I mean, Crawl's first question on the on the comments is pretty much aimed at me, so yeah, yeah. There's there's good stuff here that I think we can sink our teeth into. Uh, okay. But yeah, um, do but yeah, we should we should probably start in our usual fashion with what we've been up to. Gaijin, what have you been playing? I'm still playing. Um... For Princess Knight Chronicle, whatever, however you translate the title. Um, mm. Yeah. So I had to restart at one point, chose a different princess. Apparently finished her scenario today, or this morning, mm. so I'm on to a different princess now. Okay, okay. But have any of them been to a pizza parlor yet? Not yet, no. Damn. However, the current princess is a bit of a glutton. So maybe. Hope Springs. Maybe, yeah. I mean, for her first adventure out, she defeats a small dragon, and afterwards at the feast, she's asking if they'd served it up for her, and she was rather put out to find that she was not eating dra roast dragon at the, in that moment. I mean, I so. would be too, if, I, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Sorry. Phone? Okay. But yeah, um, it took a while to figure out the combat controls. It took a while to figure out what I was doing half the time. And I'm still not quite sure why all the character models bounce like humanoid jello molds whenever they're talking. That's concerning. <laughs> it is just, it is really weird. I mean, it's, it's not like jiggle jiggle. It's simply full body boing, 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 boing as like just to show that they're talking. And yeah, that really sounds disconcerting. Yeah, that's that's a weird choice. I guess it's to give the impression of animation without spending the money on it, but at that point, I think I would rather you just didn't move at all. thing is, they're already animated. Even weirder! Yeah. I mean, this is above and beyond the usual, the static animation, if that makes sense. And Yeah. They, they wouldn't really need to do it at all. They wouldn't need to use it at all. Ugh. <sighs> Mm 
Hello? Hello. Yes, sorry. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's still chugging along, I guess. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. I've been sort of figuring out what I'm doing now, so yay. Yay. <sighs> so what have you been playing, Dave? Oh, anyone who was watching Wheel's stream last night got way too much of an earful on that. If you managed to dodge that bullet, uh, that particular, that particular Giseo bullet, um, the uh, I've been uh, any time that I've had for games has been taken up by Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, uh, mm -hmm. which. For anyone with a love of the uh, weirder uh, edges, uh, with the weirder edges of Sherlock Holmes canon, or the more uh, well-known ones, will have uh, a field day with. I was just doing a segment this morning where, uh, so like, there's a there's a mechanic that Holmes refers to as his uh, logic and deduction spectacular. Uh, that basically involves him uh, solving a case but not actually doing it properly because he's bored and because he is either bored or trolling and choosing to uh, highlight the completely wrong things to draw a completely insane conclusion. <laughs> and uh, in this case, uh, he was like... He basically outlined the entire plot of one of the more famous short stories, uh, one of Doyle's favorite short stories, The Red-Headed League. Uh, and you had to dismantle why it was not, in fact, that case. <laughs> it was quite, quite a choice. Uh, but it's, it's one of those things where it's like the only way to sneak a reference like that into an Ace Attorney game would never be able to... Uh, function as a story is to have that kind of reference. And the game is just stuffed to the brim with things like that. Down to, there's a bit where uh, there was a bit in case four uh, where Holmes references the concept that he deliberately forgets things because he doesn't want to retain memories. Uh, like, he aware of his own limited mental capacity, he does not want to retain memories of anything that he does not deem useful to solving crimes. <laughs> and then cites oh, wow. it specifically to uh, a study in Scarlet, because that is a real-world book that has been published in, in the world of the game. So, of course, he can point out that it is a matter of public knowledge. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's extremely strange. Uh, there's some stuff that, like, is very amusing to me just because... Have they brought uh, up the... Oh, good. Oh, I'm gonna say, have they brought up the yellow face yet? No, not yet. I think, uh, I think that was the title. I think that was one of the ones where Sherlock Holmes actually admitted that he had come to a completely wrong conclusion at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me see what I can find. Yeah, The Adventure of the Yellow Face... Uh, there have been some, like, like Yellowface is one of the later Sherlock Holmes stories. Uh, 
there have been some references to that, including a reference to the last Sherlock Holmes story uh, to enter the public domain in the U.S. Uh, the This was one that stuck out to me because oh, I... Uh, say what? I was going to say, yeah, that's a good point. Doyle's estate is still kind of... Um, was it picking and choosing which, its battles on uh, which... What it thinks it can defend. Forcible, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, specifically... Uh, what I was thinking of, like, because there are, there are six Doyle stories that in the U.S. are still in copyright. The last of them, if nothing changes, would, I believe, exit copyright in a couple years. But uh, basically, uh, there is a reference. Th this one stuck out to me because I it threw me because I, you know, I've read the case book of Sherlock Holmes maybe once like 15 <laughs> years ago. Uh, but basically, uh, and the case book is where the last short stories all ended up. But mm -hmm. uh, there is, the, the last story to enter the public domain was The Adventure of the Three Garadevs. And so there's a character running around in case four uh, whose name is John Garadev, and I completely spaced on that last name so when I saw it, I was like, what on earth joke is this trying to make? <laughs> like, what is this name? Why Why can I not work out what, the, what weird pun this name is making? And then it's like, oh, no, because it's just, it's just a Holmes name. But that took me like five minutes before it like clicked in my brain. Like, oh, it's because it's a name from an actual story. <laughs> uh, that, uh, that, uh episode that that case is actually probably was one of the most uh difficult to approach in terms of localization uh the case is called uh the adventure of the clouded kokoro and yeah they just left kokoro in japanese uh because uh and it would have been a challenging localization because it assumes that you know who the defendant is because it's a real person Soseki Natsume uh, famous Japanese author from that period uh, who did famously spend some time in the UK in the late 1800s early 1900s uh and like they have to, the localization has to not just bring across what he's saying, but also sort of try to write around the fact, like give some implication of who he is and why you should care. <laughs> because there's a lot of just like random offhand references to just generally cats and uh, aspects of his writing, as far as I can tell. But, you know, some of them seem to have been localized out. Some of them have been kept. It's, it, it's, I can only imagine what kind of work went into it. <laughs> but, yeah. It's a, it was, it was interesting, though, and it's still a good case. It's just one of those things where it's like, oh, this, this seemed like it was pain. <laughs> so, that's, that's been good. I'm on the last case of the first game. Uh, very glad that I won't have to wait for the second game. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so since they have done so much with the Doyle bibliography for this one, I'm wondering if they're going to bring in more LeBlanc for the second one. <laughs> that would be fun, but I think that uh, as far as I can tell, it's like, because like with, it's very specifically that you that Sherlock Holmes is the investigator that you're working so it's easier to work him into an Ace Attorney story since they're fundamentally mysteries but yeah, it I would mean, be fun technically LeBlanc's stuff was mysteries from the other side of the equation yeah why, it makes uh, it harder to bring up the appeal I guess and um, I mean and you can still buy a copy of uh, uh, Arsene Lupin versus Herlock Sholmes at the store over here. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's... It's that's much easier to find a translation of that series in Japanese than in English. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's still, like, if, you, if you're if you aware of it, it's obvious how much that that uh, still has certain pull in uh, Japanese, uh, especially a lot of anime and such likes to reference that. Yeah, so this is it's been it's been really good. Uh, as a big Sherlock Holmes fan, it has a really good uh, portrayal of Sherlock as this like weird combination of like uh, low level troll uh, and sort of like prone to just like. Uh, disinterest in in an, uh, if a case becomes unengaging to him. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's 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 uh, it's very fun. It's uh, very well written, uh, very very well localized so far. Just just been having a ball with that. Uh, I know it's not an RPG, but. Uh, I don't write Adventure Corners, so just pretend that this is some sort of audio adventure. Q&A Quest Adventure Corner. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, and it also has, like... <laughs> uh, also, it has absolutely gorgeous music. Uh, definitely what would have been probably some of the best graphics that ever appeared on the 3DS. Uh, uh, that have upscaled beautifully for the uh, PC and console versions. Just nothing but good things to say about it. Uh, and, you know, there's there's all sorts of, for, for the general uh, Holmes fan, there's all sorts of references to be on the lookout for. And you'll get some, you'll end up seeing characters that you wouldn't necessarily have seen otherwise uh you wouldn't you wouldn't always see another adaptation which can be fun uh the the most obvious one being when you have to deal with scotland yard you're never dealing with Lestrade. Uh, you're typically dealing with tobias gregson who shows up in a fair few adaptations but is of course the far less famous of the uh, Scotland Yarders. Just kind of generally shows off a deep love of the 
Holmes canon in general. Recommended. It's also only forty bucks. It's only forty bucks for, for both a lot of, them. of a lot of content. Yeah, it's a lot of game. It comes with all of the DLC that was ever released for the uh, Japanese versions. So you get uh, there's like mini scenarios that I haven't dug into because I'm worried about spoilers for the main games being in them. Uh, there's also there's like uh, it's generally like a concept art gallery that's uh, got a lot of like interesting sort of early designs for the characters so it's yeah you know, it's, it's just it's real good it's real good sweet i'm gonna have to give it a try because i have not hated my time with the ace attorney games they've just never fully clicked with you yeah but it sounds like this might be slightly more my jam <laughs> oh so, i hope so so i mean at that price and i just I, gonna have to give it a try especially while the uh physical version is still easy to grab yeah that is actually obtainable it seems I mean, yep because like even even back when ace attorney games got physical releases they did not they were not easy to get hold of for a very time <laughs> uh i remember uh by the time I got my DS, the original Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney was approximately six months old and already completely impossible to find. <laughs> I had to... The way that I ended up getting it, actually, was that at the time, I rented it from Gamefly and eventually uh, just, like, outright bought it because I was in love with the damn game, so... I, uh... And I mean, like, if you've ever, if you've ever used that service... Uh, Buying games from them was typically not a risk because they just had they just kept the packaging and all the inserts without uh, ever really touching them. So it was basically like essentially like buying a new copy as long as the disc hadn't been scratched all the hell before you got yeah. it. And I uh, never had any trouble with any of the copies I bought from them. Yeah, it's kind of surprising, honestly. Yeah. I can only imagine they made continuous use of industrial disc resurfaces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Uh, wonderful, wonderful game so far. Uh, I just got to the case where they've decided to go, like, it's, it's the final case of the first game, so it's time to go all in on one of the most famous Sherlock stories. So it's time to go all in on The Hound of the Baskervilles. Yes, the one I read. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, like, the, the the other ones I only really know through like modern adaptations, and I don't mean like modern retellings of the story. I mean like the BBC Sherlock show that takes place yeah, in the modern day, like actual really adaptation. Rather yes, but yeah, like in general, that's that's kind of the thing. It's like. And that's that's the other thing that's always just interesting and, like, what makes me kind of uh, go go a little nuts every time that they actually choose to... Because, uh, like, one of the things that uh, Great Ace Attorney really likes doing is having uh, Sherlock reference the story as written. Like, he'll, he'll reference a solution that would make sense if the story wasn't being adapted. 
which is is very cute, but it's like it's also a reminder of like a lot of uh, things typically are about Sherlock Holmes without being adaptations of any specific Holmes story. Like that's become more and more common over time. It's just like, oh, Sherlock Holmes, the character in a story written, uh, like the the stories that most get referenced would be indeed Hound of the Baskervilles, uh, and Final Problem are probably the most common reference points. Uh, Does that mean there's just, is there Moriarty in this in? This collection. I have somewhere? not met one yet, but I can't say, like I would not have expected Moriarty to show up yet. Uh, even if they even if they do end up using Moriarty, but like Moriarty is one of those things where it's like Moriarty. He appeared in two story. Well, he appeared in one story. He was spoken of in one other. Uh, or uh, there's a character like that. I think she might have only been in uh, a scandal in Bohemia. Uh, was Irene Adler in anything else? She might just be in a scandal in Bohemia. But, like, when... Uh, in, in the same way that when uh, people writing adaptations want to give Sherlock a intellectual nemesis they drag out moriarty when they want to give him a some combination of love interest and like female counterpart they drag out irene uh, which again is interesting because again both of them only appear in like one facility <laughs> <laughs> but it's become the handful of things people actually know it's like in, in general, uh, you, you don't need to know or care about Sherlock Holmes canon to understand anything that's going on in Bernice Attorney. You just get a lot of little in-jokes and nods if you do know the things that they're referencing. And generally, they're pretty... Oh, good. That sounds like a good balance to it, then. Yeah, and generally, like, if you really want to figure out what they're referencing, they're usually pretty clear about what it is because it's like uh one of the things it's like uh the adventure of the speckled band is another of the famous short stories that gets referenced it's referenced in case two and you can tell uh that that's what it's referencing because the episode is called the case is called the adventure of the unbreakable speckled band uh <laughs> but yeah it's, it's just you know you they they reference the actual solution to the adventure of the speckled band uh without actually but then like you have to correct away from it because in this story that's not what happened <laughs> yeah so that i could talk about that for hours so i'm going to deliberately force myself to stop thank you for listening to me Rebel. uh you'll hear more about it next week i'm sure Thank you for listening to my TED Talk. <laughs> Please buy Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Available on your PlayStation 4, PC, or Switch. This episode brought to you by the Grace Ace, Great Ace Attorneys. We're not actually allowed to say that because it might sound like we actually did get sponsored. Yes. I mean, I don't know why anyone would ever sponsor us because we just chill for them for free. 
Yeah, no, we're never going to get sponsored because it never would make sense to. Yeah. But hey, Capcom, I will be your brand ambassador. <laughs> uh... And what have you been playing, Moose? Uh, a smattering of things. I tried to start The World Ends With You. Neo, The World Ends With You. Uh, but I'm still, like, in the demo. Literally playing the demo. <laughs> Since it's one of those ones where the save transfer is over, I'm just playing the demo. Waiting Might to put well. the actual cart in. Uh, so, I don't really have much to say that, that anyone who hasn't who has played the demo hasn't already seen, other than it's really good. Um, I've played some more Monster Hunter stories, which is still really good. Pokemon-like. Um, and more Disgaea, which I'm still enjoying. Uh, but, I mean, I've been playing some more non-RPGs of late. Nice. Uh, it's because of new seasons and stuff. Less nice. <laughs> I guess, uh, but one RPGs, one RPG uh, I have intended to play, but haven't really played at all, is Chris Tales, which is on Game Pass. It looks like a gorgeous, like, classic-style RPG, so... Oh, yeah, I've seen people may, up some bugs. I may actually fire that up on this stream. And uh, I'm getting made fun of for the, ex the weapons I'm using in Destiny on my stream chat. That makes sense. That yes. seems like something that they would know better. Oh, uh, for sure. It's because I got bored of my regular guns. I'm using a gun called Cerberus. Why not? It's not really good, but you know. I'm going to switch. Yes, I'm sorry. Cerberus plus one. Oh, the sequel. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. Um, I did fire up Monster Hunter Rise last night, which I haven't played in a bit, to get... Um, please tell me the name of the character from Okami again, so I don't horribly mispronounce it. it. Thank you. Uh, a skin, f her skin for the Palamute, which looks really awesome. Uh, so I may get the itch to play some more of that. Um... But yeah, I'm probably going to be playing a lot more Monster Hunter stories soon because they're doing like content drops like they've been doing for Monster Hunter Rise. So I want to get to some of that so I can talk about that stuff. Uh, but yeah, that game, that game is really good. It's a nice sequel to a very late 3DS RPG that not a lot of people played. Yeah. Uh, which also I feel like that could do with a nice up part at the yeah. stage. Did that come to PC eventually? No, it came to mobile, and I don't think many people played it there either. Well, uh, maybe that can get it, They are adding it to Apple Arcade, possibly with controller controls. So uh, uh, that would be a good excuse after that exclusivity period has gone. Yeah. Uh, has finished to put it on PC Switch. PS4, yeah, whatever. Something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I have switched to Outbreak Perfected the gun in Destiny 2 because I'm not sure 
Hollywood and Pew in my Twitch chat even have that gun because it's very hard to get. So there. I'm pretending I know what this is about. It's um, fine. It's fine. If any Destiny Two players listening will know. Gotcha. Uh, oh damn yeah. it! They do have it. Fuck. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> of course you do. My attempts to flex always fail or are really stupid. Yeah, I don't know why you keep doing it. I don't know. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah. Uh, sounds like that's been going well, even if it's not. Uh, it sounds like you continue to have uh, attention deficit gaming disorder. Um, oh, for sure. For sure. I, yeah. I, Which we, we both have. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but I have. It's a chronic issue. Yeah, I have been really feeling it lately, and I want to find some games to focus on. Like, I want to spend some time focusing on Saga Frontier. Um, Legend of Mana, I specifically don't want to focus on. I want to just pop in and out of that because that's how I enjoyed it. That's a healthy it. way to engage with Legend of Mana. Yeah, that's how I enjoyed it originally. Yeah. It's a good and Uh, but yeah, so I'm gonna probably just gonna try focusing on Monster Hunter stories and, um, as I saying, and Disguise Six for a bit, and maybe not really trying to dig into the Neo the World Ends with you. But I definitely want to finish that before the end of the year because I think it may be a uh, RPG of the year contender. Contender. Not been a contender. But yeah, uh, Neo the World Ends With You will probably be something that I pursue immediately after finishing both Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Uh, but uh, at that point, I'll probably also be intermixing in more Mega Man Battle Network since I'll have given myself a break. <laughs> Fun. It's, which is my excuse to transition us into a Discord. Let's see. Uh, Madness said, It's nice to hear about someone enjoying the Mega Man Battle Network games. Those games were dear to my younger years, and they still kind of hold Yeah, I'd agree. Well, most of them do. I even beat Network Transmission, even though I didn't like it. Yeah, uh, same. Uh, wonder if Family Master will which notice one? the GameCube logos. Huh? Oh, which one was Network Transmission? <laughs> that is the GameCube spinoff uh... that is a attempt to marry the Battle Network gameplay to a more traditional like Mega Man platformer and it doesn't work at all. Nope. Okay, so so not the card battle GP one. Okay. I'm no, sorry, what? Hold on. No, 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 no. Hold on. Go back. Roll a, a roll it back. Boy Advance game. It was me, it was Rockman.exe um card battle GP. Card battle you say. Yeah, yeah, I think it might have turned into uh I think that might have turned into Battleship Challenge. Um, probably. It, did that game have a version of Ringman that was actually a girl? Maybe. I haven't played it yet. Yeah. It was, I, I remember um, they had Ring, who was um, like the only... Um, yeah, the, about the only girl program I've seen in that series besides Roll. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you don't see a lot of those for some reason. It's just yeah. how they roll. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just, I mean, right, I mean, the majority of, I mean, the vast majority of Mega Man Robot Masters are uh, identified yeah. as female. I think there was one girl 
among them. Yeah, it was eventually done in Mega Man 9, nine. essentially partly nine. a joke. Now, I think I think that was a, I think they took a lot of fan suggestions for that. Yeah, but it was like, it was also like if you look into the development of uh, Mega Man Nine, you can actually find that they had like three or four different like female robot masters that they kicked around and they pared it down to just one, seemingly because it would only they felt it had more impact if there was only one of them, I guess. And then they didn't do it again. Well, yeah. In in any case, they um, when they made this card battle game, they decided to make Ring Man just ring, and they did a pretty mm-hmm. good job with her design. Oh, generally the ma- battle network redesigns are pretty fun. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Battleship Challenge in Japan was Rockman.exe Battleship GP, so it might be the same game. That would be the same game, uh-huh. yes. Okay, yeah, so it did I mean, come it's here been, as Battle. It's been over a decade since I played this. So, yes. Yeah, it was one of those things where it's like I could fully believe that there were two very similarly named games in this franchise. Uh, we did we did miss out on the game Rockman.exe 4.5 real operation. What? Which is not a like, real name. Like, <laughs> Despite bearing the name 4.5, is not even like a traditional. Uh, it, it's like a virtual pet game, as far as I can tell. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, it's it's barely a video. <laughs> it's barely a video game in the traditional sense. It's much more like a weird uh accessory to the other games because like it can battle with them and do weird things with them as well as like a virtual pet game very strange uh but yeah um the to get back to madness question i wonder if family master will notice the gamecube logo that just randomly shows up in a dungeon playthrough too yeah i actually did catch that there's, there's a lot of very strange, trippy backgrounds, and eventually, like, some of them are really fun because they look like extremely late 90s aughts web design. <laughs> it's just like, you go, you, like, jack into someone's computer and it just takes you to, like, a looping, uh, a tiled background of their face with the words, like, my homepage. And it's like, ah, uh, you're, it's you're... Like- a real GeoCities Geo ragamuffin. I was going to say, we're suddenly nostalgic for GeoCities. Listen, it, it beats some of the things that I have to deal with nowadays. <laughs> uh, true, true. Yeah, and to get to slightly, uh, to get to the other question, speaking of Battle Network, can we talk about how weird the extensive multi-game cross-company crossover between Mega Man Battle Network and Boktai is slash was... What? Yeah, that that's happened. Even weirder. Yeah, no, there's uh, it, which is even funnier because there's a crossover between a Battle Network game and a Boktai game that didn't come out here, where the Boktai content was still available in the U.S. version, and they just made it so you didn't have to link up to unlock it. Because <laughs> we didn't get uh, Boktai three Sabatis uh, counterattack. In the U.S., so instead we got it. Uh, so, but they didn't cut it, cut that content entirely. Like a bunch of it was just made available as something you could find in 
would have been like Battle Network 4 or 5 by that point. But yeah, it's it's just a very strange thing. And it, it continued for a while. I think it might even be uh, something like that uh, in Boktai 4 slash Lunar Nights. Uh, although by that point, we'd be looking at either Battle Network 6 or maybe even Star Force. But yeah, it, it, was, it was a weird choice. I can kind of see why it happened. I can definitely see why Konami would have wanted in on that because... Boktai was very much their attempt at, like, a, a similar, like, eh, for about, you know, 8 to 12-year-old boys uh, franchise on the Game Boy Advance uh, that, that did passably, but not seemingly as well as they wanted. So, like, how about a crossover with Battle Network, which seemed to do better than Capcom expected? Uh, yep. But... Uh, you know, at least in the U.S., it seemed to make no odds as to... Like, Boktai was already just, like... It was such an inconvenience to actually play. Um, and I would imagine that, however little it did, the solar sensor probably actually made it more expensive to produce. It definitely uh, did anything with the peripheral. Yeah, so it's just one of those things where, like... And, and of course, again you're now telling people that in order to play their game or advanced game, they have to play it out in the sun, uh, which limits the amount that people are going to play. It was, it was, it was a pain. There was, uh, the attachment to Battle Network could not fix it. It's another one of those things where somebody decided to do some interesting social engineering in Japan and that does not carry well over to the American market. Yeah, I think it was, I think, uh, lore says that it was in fact, uh, a Kojima suggestion. So, sounds about right. Yeah, it sounds like something he'd do. He he always loves that kind of weirdness. But yeah, uh, they like it wasn't until Lunar Nights on the DS that they finally just cut the solar sensor entirely. And like by that point, they Konami's US branch had given up on the Boktai branding. They actually localized it as though it were not a sequel to anything. Mm. Uh, they changed everyone's names just to like make it seem like it was a new game, so that. They could potentially not scare people off, but like no one, no one fucking played Lunar Nights. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a, it was a weird thing. But like, uh, I think that might. I don't think Capcom and Konami ever collaborated in such a fashion at Century at any other point, which is probably the weirdest thing about it. Uh, but I guess it speaks to Konami's desire to sell Boktai more than anything. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it, it's not won't be the first or last time that we have an interesting crossover between completely unrelated games or series and companies. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking Dante in Nocturne. Yeah, yeah, and Capcom seemingly took part in that just for the sake of uh, having Kazuma uh, Kanako uh, do the. Uh, Devil Trigger designs for Devil May Cry 2. That's how that happened. That, that actually kind of makes a bit of sense from a tit-for-tat perspective. Yeah, like, it, it was not as obvious and certainly not as emphasized in the U.S. Like, in the U.S., it was suddenly like, oh, we have something to sell this on. Yeah. Uh, so that's why you get the infamous featuring Dante from the Devil May Cry series uh, badge on the U.S. Nocturne. 
but yeah, in in Japan, one of the things that they did was like, oh, uh, Kazuma Kaneko did the devil trigger Dante design, Dante and Lucia design. Oh no, it was in Devil May Cry Three. It was in a better game. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Kazuma Kaneko did the devil trigger designs for Dante and Virgil in Devil May Cry Three, which was less emphasized in the U.S., but they're good designs. Uh, so, kind of a fun... Uh, in case you ever wondered why that... Uh, why Dante showed up in Nocturne Maniacs, it was because of that. <laughs> what were some other weird ones? I've seen like references to different anime and manga in different games for well, largely for the hell of it. Oh yeah, but, yeah. That's that's less often an official crossover. Just, yeah, people like oh, to no, make because references. In, in Japan, it's fairly normal to make references and or pot shots at competing companies' um, stories, like <laughs> like that. Yeah, I'm so. thinking of some other ones. Like, this was not a gameplay crossover, but it was kind of interesting. Uh, right when Sega first went third party, uh, there were <laughs> ads run that were like co like co financed by uh, Namco and Sega that was like essentially. Uh, and now Virtua Fighter will be competing with Tekken on the PlayStation 2 as sort of a way to promote both franchises. Like, see, the rivals are coming together on one console. You need to buy them. <laughs> and then somehow we never actually got Virtua Fighter versus Tekken. Feels like that should have been the time. Hmm. That would have been fun. Yeah, I would yeah. imagine that, like many of these, it's probably an issue of, well, who gets to make it? Yeah. 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 Wasn't there supposed to be some Tekken Street Fighter game that we never got? It, so there was Street Fighter Cross Tekken, which did come out. That was the Capcom one. Yeah. Uh, but there was also Tekken Cross Street Fighter, which did get, which entered development, but... Uh, due to a multitude of circumstances, just never really uh, went into full production and never came out. Uh, I think they finally acknowledged that it's canceled. For years and years, they just said that it was on hold or in some stage of production. Uh, let's see. Can I find where, when this was actually officially canceled? Because I want to say it was like this year. Yeah, development of the game... Uh, halted in 2016 after uh, it was put on hold. In June 2021, Verada reiterated... Oh, God, he made it even worse. So I would imagine the business deal that Capcom and... Second Cross Street Fighter has to be delivered on. So Harada mentioned <laughs> that the game is not dead, only on pause, which means that I suppose if they wanted to and had the manpower to do it, they could... They could theoretically go back and actually make Tekken Cross Street Fighter someday. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, God only knows if we'll ever actually see that. I wouldn't hold my breath for it. Uh, even though Harada seems to desperately want it to someday happen so that people <laughs> will stop asking him about it. Uh, 
but yeah, uh, that's that's one that sticks out to me. Um, oh, this is this is a cute one that I don't think got past like uh, someone uh, representatives from the respective companies sort of like sending missives that didn't really get answered. But uh, I'm mm-hmm. I recall reading once that in the '90s there was actually. Uh, representatives of Capcom USA discussing with Midway a Street Fighter versus Combat. And that that one, again, immediately broke down at, well, who would actually make it? <laughs> Which inevitably, like, part of the reason that, like, some that these work sometimes is just that, like, uh, the way that Capcom has traditionally done it when they are doing, like, fighting game crosses over with other fighting game is oh, well, we'll make one, and then you'll make one. So, like, Capcom versus SNK uh, in the arcade versus SNK versus Capcom uh, that SNK was making for its uh, Neo Geo Pocket uh, systems at the time was very much like, well, we'll both be allowed to make our own take on this, and that will uh, suit all parties in terms of being willing to actually uh, cooperate enough to make the damn thing. Yeah, I would imagine that actually uh, hurts a lot of attempts to cross over things that are uh, made uh, by companies that work within the same genre. Suddenly there's like a lot of reason for both of them to want to be the principal developer. Yeah, unless you're like, um, what was it, Nipponichi, Sega, and um, Gust, and whichever other one it was back in Idea Factory, and they just kind of said, let's do a conglomerate, and make stuff or have this like all our resources and have this one sub company just make the stuff for us yeah um, talking about super sting no not no talking idea. about no, super sting okay. i have no idea what the actual um agreement was but it was things like trinity universe oh universe lord said, god when you get down to it where i mean oh, they yeah. weren't good games but they were made use of ips from four different companies that were basically all like yeah we're we're doing about the same level of business against the big guys at this point let's team up and have some fun basically yeah let's team up and like raise all of our profiles a rising side yeah rising tide raises all ships yeah yeah uh i mean there's an example of a bunch of companies that actually managed to do it. I mean, they didn't necessarily make good games out of it, but they did It did something. happen. In yeah. part because they just delegated the actual making of it to a control third party. <laughs> or fifth party in this case. <laughs> yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about, like, I was actually thinking about uh, the Capcom versus games because I uh, actually was put for, put to mind of, uh, I played a bit of Tatsunoko versus Capcom not long ago, mm-hmm. which is still one of the strangest, uh, at least in the U.S., one of the strangest things to come from Capcom's, like, crossover series. That game's great, though. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyone that didn't play Tatsunoko versus Capcom kind of missed out on a really neat fighting game with a lot of... Uh, Fun old uh, Tatsunoko characters and a very strange roster of Capcom characters. It's the only place that you're going to get to see Ryu fighting Gold Lightan. Huh. 
I'm sure that appeals to someone other than me, but it's probably like three other people. Okay. So should we actually should we actually move yeah, on to should... what's on the comments? Yeah, let's put the comment section. Thank you to Crawl for these questions. Uh, yep. uh, this first one is right down the right down center plate for Gaijin. Can you think of any series that come back from an nadir to regain success and critical acclaim? Basically, is there any hope for Metal Max? Oddly <laughs> enough, Metal Max is the very first example I would come up with for an answer to that question. That's funny. Yeah, I believe it. Because, I mean, Metal Saga, I mean, between the arguments over who actually owned the IP and Metal Saga's general failure, it everyone was kind of surprised when Katakawa actually bought out the the uh, developer development studio and produced Metal Max 3 ten years <laughs> after Metal Saga failed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like you do. Yeah. And we had a good couple games from there. Yeah, we had like four and um, three good games. Yeah. But, so it happened once, it can happen again. We're praying, hoping and praying. Yeah. But we shall see what Metal, Metal Max Wild West is like. Yeah. I do appreciate that they understand how bad they fucked up by virtue of the fact that they chose to rename it to not... Uh, so let's rebrand it. Yeah. Let's not let's Wild not West. bring to mind Metal Max, you know. Yeah. Smart. But I mean, but then of course there's also the super obvious answer to this, which I think Wheels is wanting to say, perhaps. Uh <laughs> brain fart. The game without a uppercase G. <laughs> Unlimited Saga. <laughs> oh. Yes. oh boy. Which yes. came back with the uh, Romancing Saga. Which, uh, which the Romancing with... Saga remake. Which... Yeah, the Romancing Saga remake and then the Saga DS remakes. Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, and then, Crim and then uh, Scarlet Grace. Yeah. Just One of the best of games the in the series. Yeah, I mean, yeah. all of those are considered some of the best ones in the series. Right? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, for the longest time, you would have thought the saga was dead. Yeah. For sure. And buried. And we, we can hope for Mana to be making a similar comeback. They've been trying. They, uh, I mean, given that we've got Trials, which was a good, uh... Very good remake. Like, yeah, that charted sort of a course for what the series should look like in the future. Yep. They could try remaking Dawn. They shouldn't, but they could. <laughs> I mean, I mean if... they could use a similar storyline and then actually do something better. With yeah, it. they would just have to throw out, essentially, all of the gameplay. Yeah, I was going to say, if they're going to remake that, they should tear it, tear it down and make a completely different game, essentially. A completely different game that isn't reliant on the existence of Havoc physics. Yes. Man, what a time! What a what a strange game. We were we were uh, helped by having less expectations for that than, because there was no way to uh, give it a name as ballsy as Seiken Densetsu Four. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, this kind of recovery does happen. Uh, I feel like it happens a lot with uh, non-RPGs as well. Uh, but I mean, like, even if we were to look at uh, for, for a weird one uh, in the Western RPG space, uh, anyone remember Deus Ex Invisible War? Yes. It was not no. a popular game. Uh, people, people did not like it. People did not like it. Uh, Deus Ex as a franchise went away for about eight years and came back with Human Revolution, which was a popular game that people liked. And its sequel like that people also liked. Yeah. Finally a good Deus Ex 2. Wait. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. And then sadly its developer got... Uh, Put onto a games as a service game, and we'll never see it again. But no, that's uh, that's not true. They did not that? they did not work on the Avengers game. They're working on. Oh yeah, I the thought they Guardians were development the assistants. Uh, oh, that's what it was. Yeah, they're working on Guardians of Galaxy, which is not a game as a service. Yeah, like that's yeah. the reason that I care about Guardians of Galaxy. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I like Idas Montreal. Um, no. Uh, Crystal Dynamics did the Avengers game. Yeah, I know Idos Montreal did like development assistance on the third Tomb Raider uh, in the most recent trilogy. Yeah, I th and I think that the reason that happened is because Crystal Dynamics was working on Avengers. Yeah. But yeah, um, but yeah. That that Avengers game should not have been should not have been built like that. Because yeah, because no, it was the, the it's, a, it's a very trend chasey story. It is, but you know, you play the main campaign, and it's like, oh, this is this has flavors of their good Tomb Raider games, but it's also like, yeah, it's I don't want to replay a bunch of these missions endlessly. Yeah, yeah. Like it's very much like it sounds like a top-down decision. Yeah. Yep. Like we don't have this kind of game. You need to make it make it this this kind of game. Yeah. I mean that game can still that game can make a comeback if they handle it right. We'll see how this uh, Black Panther expansion goes with it, because that's definitely going to bring it's some just, attention back yeah, to it. So we'll it's see. It's just going to be a question of how long it takes and how much they're able to yeah. salvage its reputation. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, but I mean, the downside to that is we're probably not going to see another Tomb Raider for a while. Probably not going to see another Tomb Raider. Probably not going to see another Deus yeah, because all all the Western studios are caught up with Marvel stuff right now. Yeah, they they like their Western division has invested heavily in yeah. the deal. And that's not to say that like what what else comes out of that isn't going to be any good. I think the Guardians of the Galaxy game could be extremely good. Yeah, I mean, I'll but, probably give that a shot again because it's Idas Montreal, but it's yeah. one of those situations where it's like, I. I like I personally am sick of Marvel, to a large extent. So, uh, I, I personally would have been happier if they just were making something else. Yes, I <laughs> I can understand that, but on the other hand, I feel like I know despite all, well, despite all these movies, I feel like we've had like this vast, like empty space as far as Marvel games go. Like, yeah, there hasn't been like a mainline like Marvel. Uh, game brand they're still very segmented yeah like ultimate alliance 3 was um very good oh, yeah, but yeah. not fantastic um 
And like the craziest, what you'd expect from all fun. The craziest Marvel game in recent memory is Lego Marvel Two, where you oh, have yeah. Kang the Conqueror melding Lego a bunch the of universes together. Yes, um, but you know that's a Lego game, so it's it's despite all the cool stuff in it, it's hard to enjoy it. And so. then, of course, uh, there's Insomniac going off with Spider-Man, but that's not Marvel. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Spider-Man. Uh, Which is the best Superman game, not not Superman, superhero game ever made. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Doomerang asks, are you guys suffering superhero fatigue as much as me? I doubt it. Oh, I, uh, I'll put it this way. I've not seen a Marvel movie in, like, five years outside of Spider-Verse, which despite being superhero, is very different from the yeah. normal formula. Uh, I am... Yeah, I, yeah, it was like not much time for movie theater over here, and a lot of the stuff hasn't made it to DVD yet, so we're just like... There's a lot of things in between superhero movies that for yeah. us to enjoy, and that kind of takes... The, that, or I can't say takes the edge off, but it helps cushion things better. Yeah, for, for me, it's just a case of, like, these are just... They're like once I like once the formula like set in in my brain, it's like I just can't enjoy most of these movies because it's just like I get that there are like things that separate them, but they are very formulaic. And I'm also just like Disney. Disney's like weird. Uh, you must be constantly on this uh, thinking is very very tiring. It's like. Remember that shotgun volley for the first half of the year where it's like, oh, well, WandaVision's done, but now it's Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and now it's Loki. And there was like well, maybe I mean, a month total of break between those. Really? Because I thought there wasn't enough. I want more. Give it. I know Give that it. you're broken. I was going to say, I don't have Disney Plus. So again, I'm waiting for DVDs to come out. Yeah. And it's maybe by the time the next set of movies happens. Yeah. I mean, oh, I don't have Disney Plus either. I just was not able to escape the marketing machine yeah. for them. I mean, <laughs> I understand why people could have a lot of fatigue from this, but I mean, I don't watch much TV outside of like sports and, um, and British dramas and the with who, the wife. Uh, so people who've complained the most to me about it, they tend to be the people who marathon everything. And so if they have fatigue, it's because they're running their brains on it too hard. Sometimes oh. for me, it's the opposite. It's I've been trying to escape like superhero like mcu discussion and it is inescapable in my sphere so it's like oh i was gonna say just... that that would be other people marathoning it and running you ragged yeah basically yeah. but in any case a lot of it is simply people feeling that they need to enjoy it so much and too much and just entertainment fud is like now. the worst thing you can have yeah yeah uh, but so I mean, I, I, like FOMO, I suppose. Half the time, so yeah. I mean, but a lot of the movies I'd like watch once. It's like that was a fun time. I don't need to see this again. Um, like I saw Black Widow in the movie theaters, which was great to be in one again, and that um, that was a really fun movie that I don't really have any reason to watch again. So I don't think I consume. The, all the Marvel stuff, like a lot of people do. Re yeah, I've, I've heard of, like, I remember seeing people uh, recount how they were watching every single 
uh, MCU movie in the lead up to Endgame, and that was yes. like one of the most the terrifying wise. things I have ever seen. They Some were of those aren't good. Some of those movies aren't good. A lot of them are barely referenced. Yeah. By design. I mean, but this is this is neither here nor there. Let's yes. move on to another question. Uh, well, before we do, I just want to say that uh, if you haven't watched a lot of the Marvel movies and you want to just watch one that's a good one-off. I highly recommend people watch uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. You don't really need any knowledge. As long as you know who Captain America is, uh, you can enjoy it. And it's like just, it's a really good movie. That's all I'm going to say. It doesn't doesn't really build up anything else in the MCU and doesn't rely on anything else in the MCU. It's just like this really cool, almost like a spy movie. It's very good. That's all. Okay. Um, to hit Carl's next question, what has happened to Tokyo RPG Factory? A uh, quick look up says that they are currently working on this game. Is it doing well, well enough to play on? Yes. yes. Uh, does it prove that when games gamers say they want RPGs like they were in the 90s, that's only the roads and spectacles? I don't think so because I don't think any like I haven't played extensively any of their work, but I don't think that. I think that what Tokyo RPG Factory more proves is that you can imitate the form of something without getting what made it. Yeah. And, like, that's especially a problem when you're imitating, uh, some, like, you know, you this the first Tokyo RPG Factory game that called Sakura... I Am Setsuna. Uh, I Am Setsuna, that's what it was. For some reason my brain was... Uh, coming up with an early 3DS title called Soccer Samurai, which it absolutely was not. Uh, I have said to know. That game uh, is trying to imitate Chrono Trigger, like really hard. Yep. And gameplay wise. Chrono Trigger is a. Say what? I said gameplay wise, not like. Yeah, and just... game, in, in terms of gameplay. Yeah. But Chrono Trigger is a game that is all about its execution. Like, the, the elements of Chrono Trigger are very tried and true, tested, and very good, but the thing that makes Chrono Trigger great is how it is constructed, and Setsuna is not as perfectly, it's not as like much of a Swiss watch of a game as Brandon, Chrono Trigger is. Most games are not as Oh yeah, absolutely. That is, games, Chrono Trigger. Yeah, I'm like, that, that is not a... Uh, I mean, it's like... Um, Chrono Trigger is lightning in a bottle. Setsuna is more like a battery-powered flashlight, but, I mean, it's the same <laughs> effect, you know? Yeah, it's just one of those, like, you, uh, like, it, it sets itself up for unfavorable comparisons. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I, that's why, like, whenever there's a pitch event on Twitter and everyone's talking about their um, books that they're trying to write, I, I never really approve of anyone going, this series t crossed with that series as a main description. Yeah, yeah that's, that's not a healthy creative process. Yeah, it, it, it's the majority of these pitches, it, but I'm like, first of all, I don't recognize half of these names that you're trying to draw connections to, and if I did, I probably would like them more than your actual product. Yeah, you generally want to be careful about what you're making comparisons to, just by virtue of the fact that like you set up like unless you're really uh, doing well, you're. If it's something recognizable, unless you're doing it really well, you're setting up an unfavorable comparison. Yeah, uh, I remember 
I remember last year doing uh, not a review, but an impression for Summer and Mara mm -hmm. for Switch. And a lot of the game's um, supporters on Kickstarter and things were saying things like, oh, it's like Harvest Moon crossed with uh, uh, Wind Waker. That's and... a lot of shoes to fill. <laughs> oh, yeah. And especially since the game is not actually much like either of those. Except in like the very broadest sense of art direction, or not art direction, but um, like it's you're sailing around in a boat and you can grow stuff at home. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm glad I did not actually hear anything about this game before I got the review code, uh, because I probably enjoyed it more for that, or what it was instead of what I thought it should have been. Mm. So. So yeah, again, that's so yeah, that's why I do not really approve of this, this and that um, descriptions of stories or games or whatever in attempts to promote because it's never going to be exactly like this, crossed with that, and it's probably only going to remind you that there are other better games out there or better stories out there. <laughs> yeah, that you could be reading or playing instead. Right. Yeah. Like matter. if. If you go into, like, I Am Setsuna thinking, oh, this is going to be another Chrono Trigger, you're in for crushing disappointment, and you're just going to want to play Chrono Trigger. Whereas if you go in it not knowing anything at all, you'll probably be like, oh, this is perfectly fine, and the combat's kind of like Chrono Trigger. That's neat. Yeah. yeah. Actually, it's, I'm starting to get reminded of Cosmic, Cosmic Star Heroine, which yeah. is also very obviously based on Chrono Trigger and Fantasy Star. And again, mm -hmm. I did not know what this game was before I got the code for it, and I was like, oh, I can see these connections here. I know exactly mm -hmm. what they were trying for, and this is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. I just did not have any expectations of what it was going to be like going in. Yeah. The other thing I would say is that I would, uh, as, as the rebuttal to the question of whether it's uh, merely rose-tinted glasses, is that I would... Uh, point out other games that do draw on old older games but are less direct about uh, any given thing. So like Octopath was the contrast that I remember drawing even when it was new, where it was like people responded better to that than Setsuna in part because it's less specific about uh, what old school designs it's pulling from and more just like generally taking certain uh, ideas that have like fallen out of favor like that uh that aesthetic and the uh combat style and iterating on them in new ways which uh is a much easier sell because it like draws in people who are nostalgic without specifically reminding of them them of something they like better <laughs> yeah yeah or um different series but I, I still remember many years ago, my last year of Japandemonium, where I just happened upon this trailer for a new game on Famitsu, and I was like, okay, this looks interesting, this looks interesting. And then the literal light bulb comes on. <laughs> I'm like, I was oh. like, okay. Okay, I, you know, I'm usually down on Furyu stuff, but yes, I am getting Legend of Legacy when it comes out. <laughs> it's like, they did not need to say a thing. <laughs> I love that game. Yeah. That needs an HD remaster. That would be cool. Yeah. 
But yeah, I'm glad that Square hasn't yet shattered Tokyo RPG Factory. Uh, it seems like the more games they make, the less they get caught in the shadow of specific old games. So. Yeah, like the the last game they made. I don't remember yeah, what the last, last game, game they was made Uninaki. was. Yeah, which doesn't remind me of anything. Just looking at like screenshots, so yeah, it's actually it looks a good sign. Like game not Oninaki. It looks like gameplay-wise, it's kind of a Diablo-y construction. Hmm. But, Interesting. Uh, I have a copy. I just have never gotten around to it. Yeah, it's some sort of action RPG, uh, sort of not quite top-down perspective uh, in the same way that Diablo would be, uh, but you know, actually 3D. But um, yeah, yeah at, looks... at some point, I'm actually going to have to get Setsuna and Octopath and all these others. It's just it's a long list of games I have yet to play on Switch. Yeah. It's a big world out there. I already have quite a long list of games I already own for Switch that I need to play. Like Outer Worlds? Yes, I was about to say almost half of which I have not actually paid for personally. <laughs> so, so I kind of feel obligated to do some more of these. So. Before we move on to... Uh... Yeah, Doomerang says Oninaki is not isn't a waste of time. It's it's good, not great. Um, Lost Sphere and Oninaki I found were better than Setsuna. Shame they were uh, they might have, they are out of business. I wonder if they see how they would uh, progress in games. No, I think as far as I can tell, Tokyo RPG Factory is still around. Uh, their website's still on uh, still online. Uh, it doesn't seem to have like a notice of like discontinuation uh let's see like it hasn't like updated because they haven't announced their new project but uh oninaki was less than two years ago so it's not that weird uh near as i can tell the last news about them was a uh article from dengeki uh from like February of last year, where they were talking about being in the concept stage of uh, their next game. And for what it's worth, just on Google, the Tokyo RPG Factory website, without clicking mm -hmm. it, does have a copyright 2021 on it. Yeah, which means that someone is still updating that site, even if they don't have news to show. And then down here from SwitchRPG.com, an article from 2018, what went wrong with Tokyo RPG Factory? Uh, that seems People a little really premature. seem to think it died. And I don't fully get where that happened. I don't but... know either, but, I mean, people get weird ideas in the games industry, or quite games reporting industry. Yeah, well, Speaking of which, think... um, something that popped up on Yahoo the other day for me, yeah. Was not one but two separate articles claiming that Nintendo was on the like on the downturn because Animal Crossing was not making as much money as it did previously. And that's that's what you call a saturated market, buddy. Yes. Yeah, that, that was my first thought. Is like literally everyone who ever wanted to play that game has already bought it. It sold like and, thirty million freaking yeah, copies. It's very, much, and, it's very much a to whom do you sell it now? Yes. Yeah, and. And not just that, but just like the entire tone of the article is like, yeah, their earnings are down 13%. And I'm like, well, first of all, you have to consider the external effect of having a global pandemic happen literally at the same time that you're releasing this game that's all about a simulated life of fun and games outside. 
Yeah. And, and how this literally a B list property that they don't consider a priority suddenly became a literally S ranked sales item. Yeah. Like selling like better than most ev most companies they list games. From what they were expecting this year. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, um, but it's like only an American. Um, not actual games reporter would think that this is somehow the end of the world for Nintendo. Listen, let's all go back to let's go back to about ten years ago when, like, there was there were investors salivating at the idea of a Mario mobile game where you could pay to jump higher. Oh God! Ten years ago, I mean, it also seems like every three to five years they get bring up the gloom and doom and how Nintendo was Nintendo's doom. They should get out of the hardware business. They're never gonna have another popular system ever. That'd be silly. This uh, is why I do not actually. I mean, I will laugh at business articles from America concerning Nintendo, but I don't take them seriously. Yeah. It's like they never seem to really get their. I mean, it's always through the the hyper-capitalist lens of, okay, they've exceeded this growth rate, they need to keep what going. What about at... next quarter? <laughs> and like, dudes, there's such a thing as non-sustainability. Yeah. But what about next quarter? <laughs> well, well, unless you can somehow factor in future unknown global pandemics into your marketing strategy, <laughs> yeah. And if you can, then you should be better off served as a Bond villain than as an economist. Yeah, a little bit. Bond villain economist. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of read, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they have not done that as a James Bond villain yet. Is that really what feels really like a missed opportunity? Um, was um, was it um, not Tomorrow Never Dies? That would have been I very would. similar to that char character. Mm -hmm. uh, to, okay, we're gonna hit Crawl's next question. Uh, did Partially we, because did, I just did we get to Doomerang's question about PvP? No, no, we did not because you're the only one who would have an answer right, for that. Well, because I don't think me or Guy should ever. Okay, well, let me PvP. do that real quick. Right, Doomerang okay. asks, "How do you maintain the will to PvP as you get older?" I completely lost it. Uh... I have no idea, because I didn't really do much PvP when I was younger. Uh, if you're talking about, like, PvP and RPGs, I never really cared for it much. Oh, I assume of... that that was brought up entirely by you doing PvP and Destiny and yeah. effects and such. Uh, I mean, like, shooters? I mean, that's all I care about, for the most part, is PvP. Like, um... I mean, those are games that are designed with PvP in mind. Yeah. It's gotta be the focus, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I've played tactical games with PvP adjacent stuff that, I mean, the only thing I ever used it for was like a Knight of Lotus where it turns into an, like, an automatic leveling ability. You just set up two teams, make sure each team has a healer, and set them all to CPU and have just leave the game somewhere for an hour. Um, you come back and they're all like 8 to 10 levels higher. Yeah, I guess I, I don't really have a good answer for it, other than uh, I've honestly enjoyed PvP more as I've gotten older. Maybe maybe just because I can handle losing better than I did when I was younger. Hey, Tom. 
Because, yeah, learning learning how to handle losing is very important. Yeah. I'm bad at it, which is why I typically don't play PvP. Yeah. I mean, I've done, like, some online, um, like, Guild Wars, not Guild Wars, um, but some of the online games like that. MMOs. Yeah, I mean, not MMOs, um, but it's like you build an army, you set them against each other kind of thing. Uh, that sort of thing. However, I mean, for those particular games, it became very apparent that uh, most of the players in the game were actually puppet accounts because mm. I mean, the game was trying to make it look like it had more people. And the ones mm. that you knew were legitimate were the ones who had all of the pay-to-get um, uh, pay characters. Mm -hmm. So, I'm like, yeah. Okay, I, if I want to play stuff like this, I will just get, like, another copy of uh, Monster Strike for the 3DS or something. Reminds me, I need to play that in stream sometime. It's a fun game. Or, uh, yeah, Might, Might and Magic Clash of Heroes, which actually uh, I did love have that. a good PvP versus AI game. I love that game. <laughs> Yeah. I, I eventually gave it to my niece and nephew for Christmas because um, just I thought that they would appreciate it. But before I mailed it off, I beat the entire game yet again and then blasted through the, the uh, versus version so many times. I would just like set everything to maximum level, do whatever, and then blindly choose a hero to use. Just to see if I could beat anyone with anything. Usually could. Kind of fun. Yeah. Um, let's see, to hit this next question because I very much uh, need to uh, celebrate just a little bit. Uh, Carl brings up I see .hackgu is coming out of retirement on Switch. For those who did not catch this glorious news, ESRB has uh, rated .hackgu last recode on Switch. Uh, this would be kind of the like Namco seems to have like reevaluated what they could put out on Switch sometime in the past year or so. Uh, the last time that this happened was a couple months before they announced like there was a Nino Kuni 2 rating at the ESRB a couple months uh, before they announced that, that was coming to Switch. Sometime in the next few months, I would imagine we will hear about a Switch the Switch part of .hackgu last recode, and I will finally have the excuse to play those games again that I need. Uh, <laughs> well, I never played them in the first place, so I'm kind of interested. They're, they're some of my... Yeah, that's what last recode was. It was the three games that they put out on PS2 plus an additional epilogue chapter that I'm very curious to one day play. Uh, well... But yeah, uh, GU is one of my favorite uh, PS2 RPGs, like, taken as a collective. Uh, I, I think that it's fantastic. I think that it does a lot of interesting things with sort of examining the mentality of uh, certain kinds of MMO players and generally, like, the sense of community that MMOs build and that sort of thing. I think that it's really... Uh, well put together, very fun to play, has a like, great cast, like just really strong in every direction. Uh, so just, just very excited to see that that, because like the last time we heard about a possibility of a Switch uh, part of Last Recode, it was basically the president of CyberConnect2 being like, yeah, we pitched it to Namco and they weren't interested. 
so like let them know if you want to see it because we'd still be happy to make it mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, we didn't hear much about it for another year or so and then suddenly this rating popped up out of nowhere and the last couple times that's happened it was I believe uh, it was Nino Kuni 2 and I think Dragon Ball Z Kakarot might have also had the same thing which was also made by CyberConnect 2 uh, and is also just now getting a Switch port that uh, was rumored for a long time and then suddenly happened give me all so, of them. give me give me yeah seriously um, so yeah it seems like at some point Namco reevaluated uh, what they were going to do with legacy content on the Switch and decided that they still had uh, an appetite to do ports. Also, can I just say this game looks great. Um, I'm watching Wheels stream Neo World Ends with you and man, that is cool. Yeah, this, this is the PS4 version, if I... Of course. But just in general, it's just got a really strong art direction. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of Persona Five in the one in the way that all the UI elements like blend together. It's really yeah, great. Which was which is like continuing the legacy of World Ends. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it just warmed my heart whenever I looked up like that they they basically dragged back everyone who was a key figure in World Ends with U One to work on World Ends with U Two. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to actually get to the question Carl had, uh, I gather it's the original Isekai game that got trampled on by Sword Online. I mean, Isekai is as old as dirt, but uh, the very yeah. specific idea of uh, I've been trapped inside of an MMO is uh, was probably most first like properly explored in modern anime anime by the initial wave of dot half media and uh in general it was it examined it you can tell that isekai as a genre had not calcified in anime in the same way because it examines it in a very different fashion than any of those would so i was going to comment that um current lit rpg subgenre is yeah. very, very much informed by Sword Art Online, which is part next part yeah. of this question there. Yeah. Uh, largely because um, the modern iteration of, or modern expression of this genre, began as Russian fanfic of Sword Art Online. <laughs> <laughs> Not even joking here, the, the translations of some of the Russian series are very popular in this fan base. And Sword Art Online was the first game of that type of story to make it into the Russian market. Mm. Uh, um, so I'm, I'm assuming that Dot .hack did not get translated into Russian. Yeah, but it's also, worth, it's also worth noting that the uh, purview of the writer behind Dot .hack is very different. Because, yeah. uh, forget who writes Sword Art Online, but he was, I think, kind of a new author with Sword Art yeah, uh, I mean, he, he did start off as like a light novel author, and I remember seeing some critiques where it's made clear that he does not actually understand how balance in online games works a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> and he has a thing for swords. Massive yeah. thing for swords. Yeah. Whereas, like, uh, Dot Hack, like, primary, like, one of the key writers behind it, there's a guy named uh, Kazunori Ito, mm -hmm. who, uh, he was. Prior, he he was before uh, 
ever getting involved with dot hack in general he was a he he was generally like an anime writer the kind of anime he wrote was like he worked a lot with mamoru oshi uh so he was on things like pat labor and ghost in the shell uh and so uh his like perspective on these was much less like how does uh how does the world work and more how does the individual react and that's why like the first major one of the first major pieces of dot hack media is like dot hack sign which is a uh, story that one person has been trapped in the MMO and it's a, essentially a horror story for them. Mm-hmm. Like, just absolute, like, stuck and, like, what kind of mind, what kind of mind would, uh, how, how would a person's mind react to this? How would they... Uh, what kind of person would fall deeper into a depression and not mind being here versus the kinds of people that would have to, you know, be trying to find a way to help them? It's it's a very... Uh, that hex sign, especially as game anime go, is very... Uh, it's much more psychological than you would necessarily expect. Mm. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite anime series. It's it's actually um, very good. Yeah, <laughs> I still need to watch most of it, but it keeps giving me throwbacks to um, Otherland by Tad Williams in the '90s, that novel hmm. series, mm-hmm. which uh, had a similar premise of an online world and being trapped therein. Mm-hmm. It was a very different sort of story involved, but um, much closer to Dot Hack than to Sword Art Online. <laughs> Theme. Yeah, and that's so. that's kind of the thing that speaks, I think, to the rest of Pearl's question. Where like, can you think of any good games where a standard and or trope only, uh, which set a standard or a trope only for some other perhaps lesser game to come along later to steal its thunder? Where I would say that like, it's a reminder that like, uh, the genre and like the concept behind it are what will inevitably uh, select its audience much more than the actual like elements of the story yeah and if the audience really wants just escapist literature or escapist fiction where you can wield a big sword and have a huge number of girlfriends <laughs> sword art lo- online yeah yes. it's yeah. uh it's a crowd pleaser sort of uh choice yeah. Yeah, that's putting it mildly, yes. <laughs> but um, of the two, you can definitely see which one has dominated a fully one third of that genre. So, yeah. But I still other, love me. The other some... thirds being Dungeons and Dragons and World of Warcraft. <laughs> but I still love me some dot hack, especially GU, which I think was uh, fantastic. So yeah. Oh, I'm very st- excited to play Last Recode on my Switch. I still remember the last time I played the original Dot Hex series and promptly sold <laughs> all four those games. Are, those were, that was probably a very profitable endeavor for you. It was, yes. Especially Quarantine. That game is expensive. Yes, and it's also terrible. <laughs> terrible is probably stretching it, but it's like it's, it's like a rough sketch for what could be interesting. Yeah. Whereas, like... Uh, GU is much more like 
a much more fleshed out game. You can kind of see it even in the contrast between the protagonist of uh, the original quadrilogy, uh, tetralogy, I guess would be the better term. The the original tetralogy, the uh, Infection, Mutation, Outbreak, Quarantine tetralogy versus the GU trilogy, uh, where the first four have the protagonist of Kite, who is very blank, I guess would be... He's not silent, but he is projectable, I guess would be the way to put it. Uh, I mean, he, you know, he's trying to solve the mystery, but he does not have a strong uh, personality. Yeah, it's almost unfair to compare the two because you've got Yuri Lowenthal doing the voice <laughs> in GU. But in, in GU, kills it, you, really. have, you have uh, Haseo, who is like built, fundamentally built to go through a big character arc that was planned to last throughout the entire three games. Yeah. Which means that they start the first game and go full bore into making him as unsympathetic as humanly possible. <laughs> like, he is just an absolute jackass in the most 16-year-old way imaginable. Oh, dear. Uh, and, like, that's, you know, it's obviously the point. Um, and, like, the way that he clashes with the uh, people around him is interesting. Like, he does, over the course of the first game, he becomes at least a reasonable human being and over the second game uh he becomes like a pretty decent person by the end of the third game it's like no I've, you, this would be a person you would be happy to know uh <laughs> like because like the the watch like gu is uh, as far as like the the abbreviation gu uh has a number of uh meanings throughout uh it throughout the game's the series runtime, but uh, the pre-release de the developers were quite uh, were more than willing to admit that, as far as they were concerned, GU meant robot, and it was basically just about how like and like Haseo represents that like the character is someone who represents no you need to grow up you need to get better <laughs> than where you are. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, uh, and that you know, it can be helpful when they just start out with that considered of like, no, this is this is the key theme that we're working on, and like it needs to be uh, reiterated essentially throughout the way that the game is uh, built. But yeah. Let's see, uh, Tam brings up a spoiler for Sign that I will not re. Uh, reiterate, but I was being very careful. I remember Friend getting a drop in the first hack theme, but it's not in the strategy game. Uh, the strategy guide, and then says that he still owns them. I still own them as well, although they're technically, they would be back with my family. Uh, they're, like, I don't hate them, but they're extraordinarily repetitive in a way that even GU is not. Like, GU, like, they, they took to heart that most of the first four dot hack games is going through semi-randomly generated dungeons. Mm -hmm. And that gets tiresome. That gets mm. really tiresome. <laughs> so, uh, especially because the thing that really made the games interesting was 
following the like mystery plot of like why things were the way they were, like what the hell's wrong with this MMO. Uh, and you know they uh, slowly uh, doling that out over the course of four games. And with GU, they leaned into the things that they were good at, the aspects of like commentary on MMO players and like the sense of community that they build up and the mystery plot itself. They de-emphasized the uh, randomly generated dungeons. They were generally much smaller, much shorter, uh, and much and like not infrequent, but like better paced out by the plot sake. Uh, they had other activities that were uh, more uh, that helped pace out the general dungeon crawling. So GU in general was just like an improvement in every fashion. So. Like, that's why, like, I'm fond of uh, IMOQ, uh, Infection Mutation Outbreak Quarantine, but, like, they're very difficult games to recommend, but GU is one of my favorite PS2 RPGs. Yeah, I've only finished one, and I'm still looking forward to playing the rest of it, because one was amazing. Uh, I remember yelling at you that you had to try it. Yep, and you were right. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, as for actual answers to the question, uh, games which set a standard uh, or like conceived of an idea, and then some other perhaps lesser game came along later with Steel Thunder. Uh, I mean, like one of the most famous ones of these is not an RPG, but it's always worth bringing up because it's so uh, overt. Is an old PS2 game called Kill Switch. Which one? With uh, Kill Switch. Ah, uh, Kill Switch. It was a uh, it was a shooter made by Namco uh, for the PS2 that essentially prototyped the gameplay loop of Gears of War. Okay. Uh, this this idea of like. Uh, the, the cover shooter, as it was, uh, like, seen in the late uh, aughts and early tens, was essentially prototyped in Kill Switch. And you can kind of see how Namco ended up making it, because it is sort of like the third-person shooter version of, say, Time Crisis. But it didn't take off, and then a few years later, Gears of War came out, and suddenly that was the genre for a number of years. Uh, yeah. Um, for As for others, uh, I mean, if I wanted to keep picking on Namco, uh, I, I could I could bring up that uh, Pac-Land predates Super Mario Brothers by about a year, but that's another case where the successor game is significantly better, so it's understandable why People are not uh, tremendously nostalgic for pac land. Yeah, uh, that kind of thing just happens a lot. I mean, it's, it's especially it's easier for that to happen in games without. Uh, oh, your pins, the first two pins you get are exactly the same as in World of Warcraft One. That's cute. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's it's easy for 
well, not easy per se, but it's quote unquote easy for this to happen in uh, video games because uh, iterating on a mechanic is important. Uh, and there's a lot of mechanics that don't end up working the first time someone attempts them. Mm -hmm. Or the second or the third time sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could see that even in... Fourth. <laughs> but yeah, you can see that even in like genres that took a while to really take off, but eventually became huge. Like, go look up how many like prototypical fighting games there are. Street Fighter 2, not even just counting Street Fighter 1. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, oh, uh, to quickly answer a question Boomerang had, is it okay to skip on the Switch World Ends with you if you got it on DS? Uh, Switch World Ends with you is basically just a... Like, World Ends with you Final Remix is just the World Ends with you on DS with some like light content additions for the post game, you're you're fine. You can just play Neo. Uh, but yeah, um, but yeah, like you could look at the uh, long list of prototypical fighting games pre Street Fighter Two uh, that don't really work. Uh, that ultimately, uh, that ultimately end up birthing a huge genre when Street Fighter Two finally makes the mechanic work. <laughs> yeah. um, I guess we can hit this last question unless someone else has some ideas for. Uh, Unless someone else has ideas for uh, other, uh, I guess, like games that came just a little too early, I guess would be a way to put it. Um, I had one in my mind. I can't remember what it was. I don't know. Maybe I'll think of it later. Yeah. Or before hit, we end we'll the show. Pearl's last question. Uh, Pearl asks, what represents a success for the Steam Deck? Uh, question. Uh, Vita numbers. While the Steam Deck is a powerhouse handheld on a PC scale, it seems merely adequate. Is that an issue? Do you think its success would encourage developers to throttle specifications for AAA games to ensure they can run on the deck? Would Valve prefer a more standardized platform? Valve would prefer a platform they can uh, like that. And okay. I was gonna say my first thought when saying on a PC scale is the issue that most consoles are theoretically low, lesser than PC um, builds, except that the PCs have all sorts of other things to worry about processing at the same time. Yeah, but I mean, like. That's the weird question about what's going to become of the Steam Deck, because, like, the kind of person that wants a... that has, like, a huge Steam library to take advantage of a Steam Deck... well, quote-unquote, take advantage, is going to be 
people are going to run into a lot of weird compatibility issues on that thing. But uh, the kind of person that was mo that I saw most enthused about a Steam Deck would also be the kind of person most like disposed to wanting to like, that already has like a PC that does everything that like it's everything that they play their games on. Uh, in terms of what counts as a success, I don't know. Valve is a super non-committal company. Uh, like, this is not their first crack at selling their own PC hardware. Uh, like, they memory hold Steam machines almost immediately, but it did happen. Uh, so, I, like, it would very much depend on what things look like. Uh, like, it, it would very much depend on what their internal estimations look like. I'm sure they have different models for what that would look like. Uh, I have one on my mind, I know, games. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, and Sam brings up Steam Link. Uh, did a lot for VR though. Yeah, but VR is still hyper niche. Like, it's a quite, like, Index has probably been their most support. Is Index theirs? Is that what Valve calls their VR headset? I think it's the Valve Index, uh, yeah. And those are still, one, impossible to get hold of in any real numbers, two, hellishly expensive. Oh my god. Uh, but like, they, like, that's the other thing that's going to be like a real question is like, I would imagine that their idea of success is consonant with how many they're manufacturing. And the answer seems to be not a lot. Uh, I think on the outside, like, they seem to have had an initial run of, like, 50,000 across three SKUs. So, I, I would imagine not a ton. I, I would imagine that's a success by their standards. Uh, I don't know, like, I don't foresee in any sort of reasonable time frame them actually they're being games targeted specifically to work best on steam deck or primarily on steam deck or like even even treating steam deck as a specific target for quite a while uh because like it, there's just there's just too much going on there uh valve wants you to port to their like uh proton compatibility compatibility layer uh that they're uh, using to try to make Linux uh, gaming work again. They've tried this like four times now. Uh, they, uh, like, the primary audience for PC games typically, like, bulks at something running at less than 120 frames per second at the stage. Uh, like, you also have to be optimizing for the battery. Uh, which, I mean, like, I'm sure that that actually has a lot to do with, like, some of the performance targets we see on Switch, actually. It's just, well, it needs to... It needs to actually survive. But... Uh... Yeah, like, just, just in general, these are... Uh... There's just a lot of, uh... Reasons to, like, I think that 
you might see some slightly greater emphasis on low-end optimization, but that's already been an ongoing thing because part of the thing that keeps PC games in check in terms of their... Uh, there, there are a couple of factors that keep PC-like games in check. One of them is just that you can't assume everyone has the highest rate of hardware. But the other is that consoles set, tend to set the baseline for what you build your build for. So, like, the, as long as companies want to make PS4 versions of games or Xbox One versions of games, those will be the baseline thing that they try to make things at least run on, even if they don't run great. Uh, like, and I don't really, like, I, I think that the Steam Deck is uh, probably more powerful than those at this stage, but I don't, like, I'd have to look at its specs again. But it is one of those things where it's like, uh, you're, you're looking at a, and, you know, it's a more dedicated device. So, like, games will probably run on it fine for the most part, but, you know. Uh, I don't foresee there being a huge wave of games targeted to it specifically, because there's just not a lot of reason to. Oh, it's Show. He's back. Uh, but yeah, as far as Valve's concerned, I would imagine success is uh, we don't end up sitting on giant piles of stock of these. So I think to them no, it's a success words, enough. Not Atari. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I don't think that its level of power is per se is inherently a problem, but I do think that for the audience most likely to consider one, it does represent a problem because again, PC gamers tend to um, like their platforms uh, meaty in terms of power. Uh, you might see some games have. Uh, I, I would say the most likely thing that you're going to see in terms of Steam Deck optimization is you might see uh, AAA games uh, have a set a, a specification preset for Steam Deck. But you know, who knows? Uh, like that—that that would honestly, that would seem like the easiest way to go about it. It's just like uh, sets it to a throttles it to a specific resolution. A specific frame rate maybe turns off certain effects to like uh as like a recommended for steam deck but like i mean it's not like they're gonna have a way of stopping you from doing it they're not going to put out a build that only works on steam deck so that you have to play it that way so but that's i mean at that point that's about what you're gonna have to deal with and pam brings up the weight of the thing and yeah as far as i can tell it's apparently gigantic does this thing weigh? About one and a half pounds, which doesn't sound like much, but let me... It really is her. when you hold something. Yeah. Like it, it puts it at about twice the weight of a Switch. With... Yeah, like when you're having to hold it up constantly, like again, it doesn't sound like much, but then you actually have to use it for consistent for hours. You're intended to use it for hours at a time, and that's... Uh, like, that's the, I, I would say, probably the biggest uh, 
uh, concern, quote-unquote, I would have. Like, I'm not terribly concerned. I'm not super interested in the Steam Deck. But the biggest concern I would have about its... Uh, uh, about its actual way it's put together is just Valve is not traditionally a hardware company and they're very hit or miss on controllers. I'm given to understand the Index's controllers are good. I don't know. I've never used them. I've not met a lot of people who have them because VR is very niche in a very splintered landscape. But, uh... Let's see. Uh, but as, as a general rule, uh... Like, it... The Steam controller's layout is a disaster, and the Steam Deck's layout does not look great. Uh, I don't know what they're playing at with the uh, general uh, layout there that looks just hellish. Um, this is D-pad. Oh god, the double touchpads, that's still, like, just a wild choice. Um, yeah, all of the all the buttons seem like they're too close to the edge in a way that I would probably find personally galling to use, but that's just me. Uh, we'll see how it turns out. It's apparently supposed to start shipping in December. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, I... I don't think that they're willing to ramp up manufacturing. I don't think they're... Allow me to re reverse that. I don't think that they're capable of ramping up manufacturing enough to make a huge change to the market anytime in the next year, just because, like, they're fighting with... Uh, for manufacturing space with companies that have hmm. a lot more pre-existing manufacturing agreements. I'll be right back. Go. Keep going, guys. I'm probably just yeah. about done, but... Uh, yeah, I'm I just mean, like you go on and on because I figured this is your wheelhouse. Yeah, but like in general, I mean, uh, Microsoft and Sony fighting tooth and nail for uh, every bit of like PlayStation, Xbox manufacturing that they can manage. Uh, because I mean, obviously, like they have new consoles that they're trying to put out. Nintendo's still trying to put out switches at an alarming rate. Uh, and probably, Yeah. Probably gearing up for a new hardware launch of their own, probably sometime in about a year and a half. And they uh, did an finally announce the upgraded, or the new uh, successor to the Switch. They announced the OLED Switch, which is not really a successor so much as just a nicer Switch, but I do, I would imagine in about a year and a half, we will be looking at the somewhere between five and six years of the Switch already having been out, probably around the time that they'd be ready to refresh the hardware. So, yeah. in about that... I'm still wondering uh, that's... if the Switch is going to live as long as the PlayStation 2 did. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if we continue to see Switch games for long after its successor comes out. But... And if yeah. Nintendo has any sense, which they do, they're going to be making backwards compatibility a priority here. Oh yeah, like every every piece of information about uh, possible switch uh, like updates has implied that they'll be using uh, 
a chipset from the same uh, family, essentially, as the uh, NVIDIA Tegra X1 that powers the Switch, so... Uh, I would imagine that it will, it will just be hardware backwards compatible. But... Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's uh that that's kind of like one of the big issues of launching a new piece of uh, hardware like uh, this is just that uh, how like you are fighting for every bit of manufacturing you can uh, like boutique hardware has been having difficulty getting manufactured recently like. Uh, Anyone who keeps track of things like the analog pocket or the playdate uh, would be aware that both of those have seen several uh, delays recently just because manufacturing's not where it needs to be. <laughs> mm -hmm. Those are both twee as hell. It's the weirdest. Um... But yeah. Um... I think that's probably about enough for tonight, personally. But... Yeah. And how soon do you think Wheels will be back to actually say goodbye? Yeah, that's a real question, but we could get you started on your uh, plugin. <laughs> oh, sure. So, yes, um, I did, as of... Uh, what's the day today? As of last Sunday, um, the next paperback for Princesses of the Pizza Parlor is available in paperback and in ebook format. It's called Cookies and Campers, a princess or a pizza princess paralogue. Just because, hey, I like the word paralogue and I'm thankful to Fire Emblem to actually introducing it as a gaming term and not just a genetics one. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it is by far the single chunkiest thing I've ever published. Not the, not the longest thing I've ever written unless you um take things very separately but it's uh, i mean it it's it's got a it's got a very good uh cost uh like pennies per word ratio going on let's say let's leave it at that um so yes it's available for it's available for paperback it's available for ebook the ebook price is actually a dollar less than the print cost um, which is nice, and oddly enough, the ebook also gets me more royalties. <laughs> nice. More in royal. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, uh, fun, fun things like that. Um, but yes, Michael Yarimizu, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor. Um, available in Kindle, Kindle Unlimited. Um, if you have Kindle Unlimited, just go ahead, read it, let me know what you think. Leave a review or a nice rate, rating or something, and because it kind of gets lonely on that author's page looking at the complete lack of reviews in some cases. Um, yeah. But not for lack of asking. <laughs> but yeah. Well, that's uh, that's always recommended. Uh, it looks like Wheels is back because World Ends yep. with you is moving again. Uh, but yeah, we were getting ready to shut down. Okay, I just had one. I thought of my answer for that games ahead of their time question. Go ahead. Uh, favorite game of the show, Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter. True. But has anything stolen that... Uh, well, some things have stolen that game. Yeah. 
like uh, Dead Rising and really yeah. kind of just roguelikes finally becoming popular in general. in general. Yeah, actually. roguelikes. Um, but, okay, so ahead of their time, let's go with Brownie Brown and the Magical Vacation series because they did things that should have been um, Street Pass. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. They did so many interesting things that really should have been Street Pass, except Street Pass did not exist during the time of the Game Boy Advance. I think uh, Brownie Brown may have actually been involved in Street Pass games after they changed their name and were bought out. <laughs> Almost certainly, but yeah, the entire Amigo system for Magical Vacation, Magical Star Sign, and uh, Sort of Mana, they, that was just the kind of thing that Street Pass was intended to do. Yeah, looking it up, uh, Brownie Brown was bought out and turned into 1UP Studio. Uh, did they, were they involved with the Street Pass <laughs> I'm actually not seeing that. Maybe they, maybe someone just involved in Brownie Brown moved into that, or maybe it's just inspiration, but... Oh yeah, Brownie Brown, I forgot Brownie Brown also did the RPG mo mode in that one late in game. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah, so that answers that question. Wheels, tell us about your exploits. Where can we find you? What will uh, you, you can find me on twitch.tv slash askwheels, where I'll generally be uh, streaming uh, Ugh. First person shooters, occasionally third person shooters involving uh, building and stupid dances, uh, and occasionally uh, RPGs and other nonsense. So, hey, okay, every Sunday. Check it out. Yes, every Sunday on the RPG Gamer Twitch, you can see me doing Sunday Night Neptunia, generally followed by some Street Fighter uh, back on my channel late at night at like 1 a.m. Pickups sucks. So, yeah, that's it. And I don't do anything, uh, but I'm forever on the knife's edge of becoming a bad streamer, so keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, but since I don't have anything to plug, I will plug the podcast. Hey, you can ask questions like our good friends, Madness and Paul, who provided our questions this week. Uh, also, once again, the eternal thanks to Fire Miner. We will be back to more of your questions next week. Uh, but uh, the uh, also thank you to the chat, Doomerang and Tam, for keeping us company. Uh, you can ask questions. You can ask them in the chat, like Doomerang was this evening, or you can ask them uh, on the comment section, like Krull did, or you can ask them in the Discord, like. Uh, like Madness did. We really got the... We really ran the gamut. Uh, ask me about Ace Attorney. Uh, don't actually do that unless you want wheels to die. Uh, <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, that... Uh, that's... Uh, if you uh, leave them in the comments section, or... Uh, please join the RP Gamer Discord, actually, uh, by going to the rpgamer.com and clicking the community tab. You can invite a lovely place with a lot of nice people always discussing uh, RPGs and various sundry other uh, topics. But, you know, real nice community. Highly recommend it. 
but otherwise, see ya, Space Cowboys. See ya! Hey,